Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 26, Jared, of the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. We have made we've made it to number 26. I am Jeff Wright, one of your regular hosts, and I am here with my co-host, Jared Moore, as usual. Jared, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, buddy. Doing well. I'm well. I'm doing well, all things considered. I had a car wreck Friday night, and uh, I think I've cracked some ribs, and so um, there doesn't need to be anything funny on this episode. Well, you know, speaking of funny, um, it, do you think that it's about time for you to consider how much alcohol you, you intake? Oh, come that? on, dude. I've never in my whole life had a sip of alcohol. Yeah, but you've guzzled it. That's different. <laughs> uh, you're hurting me already, man. Um, hurting your reputation and your cracked ribs. Hey, we're thankful that the wreck wasn't worse, man. It was you got T boned, right? I did, yeah. Um it was my it was evidently my fault. Because I hadn't had a shut up. I hadn't had a wreck in like fourteen years. So it was uh probably the worst I've had in my life though. Yeah. Well all kidding aside, we are really thankful you came through all right. Hey, are you also uh thankful that we've made it through twenty five episodes of this bad boy? I think it's amazing that we've already hit we've done pretty well, man, doing twenty six already. Yeah. Yeah, the downloads have been pretty crisp. We're uh, we're doing all right. Thanks to all of you listeners out there for making this an enjoyable journey and uh, for tuning into what we're doing. We're really appreciative. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I've got a. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and plug the book, man. I've got a. We, me, and two other authors have a um, a book on uh, parents engaging pop culture with their children. Um, a manuscript that we've actually finished, and we're seeking publishers. It's me and Stephen Burnett and um, Ted Turno and. And, um, so Stephen you know, Burnett, you'll know from Lorehaven, right? Mm-hmm. And Christianity Today. And then um, Ted Turnow, we quote every week on this episode when we go through our questions about uh, analyzing the movie. Uh, yeah, I think- he wrote he wrote Popologetics, um, and that's basically what this is kind of the premise of the show is based on. Yeah, so um, pop popologetics. I can never say that correctly. Um, that that's a must read. I think that's a that's a you know if you hadn't got that one on your Amazon wish list, uh, you, you need to add it and get to get to reading it pretty soon. In my opinion, I thought that was excellent. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm I'm hoping <clears throat> I'm hoping this new book will be the go to book um, once it comes out. Yeah, yeah, that'll be awesome. We're looking forward to seeing that. So speaking of watching stuff, this week we're talking about Christopher Robin. Were you a uh, were you a Winnie the Pooh fan growing up there, Jared? I was, but it was more of a, you know, kind of nostalgia type thing. You know, it was something when we were growing up, you and I, we only had a few channels and um, it's not like we had a lot of options. Poo would be the only thing on. So I'd sit and watch it. And uh, I I was more of a G.I. Joe, Transformers, you know, Ghostbusters type kid. And uh, so I didn't really care that too much for Pooh Bear. Um, But it was still nostalgic for me for us to watch it, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but, and this is, I mean, I'm 14. You just said that Pooh was on and you'd sit and watch it. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of puns that can come out of this <laughs> little bear's name. <laughs> now, I think that's what we watch now. Uh, oh, shots fired. I don't know who, but yeah. Jared coming in with the hot takes. Yeah, probably, dude. I mean, we, you know, you think of what, I mean, we, what do you want your kids watching? You know, a lot of what's on today or do you want to watch Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's an easy answer. Well, speaking of watching stuff, uh, we're going to talk about the movie here in just a minute. But before we get there, I was going to check with you like I did last time. Uh, anything that you're watching or reading that's good right now, uh, Jared? Yeah, um, I've watched. Uh, oh, what did I tell you? I've watched. I can't even remember. <laughs> that's all. 
Well, you're watching Castle Rock, right? Yeah, I'm watching Castle Rock. Are you caught up with that? No, I'm not. We uh, we got on a kick where we're watching The Shining, and then uh, after we watched The Shining, it took us a couple nights. Uh, my wife and I. We've also started this documentary now called Room Two Thirty Seven, which is like the big spooky room in the movie The Shining. Uh, hmm. But it, it's a documentary. It, it's interesting if you're into documentaries. It's these people who have these really wild interpretations about the the movie The Shining. So like one guy's theory is that the movie is about the genocide of the American Indian. Another guy thinks it's um, it's Kubrick confessing that he was the one who staged the moon landing. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it's an interesting documentary uh, to kind of look at people's interpretive grids. And when I'm saying this stuff, it sounds outlandish. I get it. Mm-hmm. But like one of the guys was a foreign bureau chief for, a, a, I think, a major newspaper. So it's not like these people are um, like obviously mentally ill. These are otherwise credible people who have uh, no history of mental illness, but they have adopted this interpretation of the movie that is just far removed from the text of the movie itself. And so, yeah, it's just interesting, you know, when you talk about interpretation. So anyway, that's a long way for me to say I've been watching The Shining and it stopped me from catching up on Castle Rock, but I plan to ASAP. Dude, when I was <laughs> when I was when I was dating in high school, um, those were the movies that I would try to like. I can remember going to the theater to watch Event Horizon and Renting the Shining and written a lot of scary movies. Which now looking back, I have no idea why. I mean, I liked them, and I, I guess Dude, I thought that they would like them. But. Whatever you pretending like you weren't trying to get them scared so they'd cuddle up to you. I have no idea, man. Yeah, I do. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I didn't have any moves back. Back then, I still ain't got any. Yeah, I knew you in high school. Um, <laughs> I know you in high school too, dude. Yeah. Are you reading anything good? No. Well, I mean, um, I did just get uh, Wayne Gruden's, um, you know, his big ethics book, oh, which I'm looking yeah. forward to delving into, man. I mean, that, that book will be the mainstay for the next 10, 15 years or, or, or longer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you think about that one. I might need to pick that one up myself. I've been listening to some some courses on ethics lately, trying to freshen up. So I may need to get that too. This thing's got to be like 700 pages, man. Ah, man. I do that in a night. Yeah, it's no huge. Yeah. Nah. And you know, Grudem, Grudem's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so um, this might be his last, you know, you know, this might be his magnus, magnum opus besides his systematic theology. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're about to lose a whole bunch of good people. I mean, it started with R.C. Sproul, but <laughs> gosh, you know, J.I. Packer, some of those guys, you're just counting down the days. I don't know who's coming behind them either. Dude, J.I. Packer, I mean, he may be the reason why the substitutionary atonement is still, I mean, the Lord has used him in such a mighty way to raise up a generation who still affirm the substitutionary atonement. Um, I mean, back when, back when it was severely unpopular, I mean, still severely unpopular, but he I mean, pretty much most of the people that are teaching in at Southern Seminary and really any of the evangelical, they had to lean on guys like Packer because they were in liberal seminaries um, when, you know, what I'm saying they were in seminaries that didn't teach these things. Yeah. Um, and so they had to heavily rely on guys who were outside like like you, you mentioned Sproul, but but Packer was even bigger than Sproul. Um, but. And it's uh, you're right. We're going to lose a, a lot of guys, and uh, I wonder what's coming after them. You know, I I'm hopeful, but uh, it is going to be a different. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. 
Well, all things British, um, Packer, Pooh Bear, and <laughs> <laughs> the last, the, Bear. yeah, the last thing I want to uh, I want to mention on the what are you reading lately? You and I went to see the Meg. Jared, what did you think about the Meg? Yes, we did. It was what I expected. Man, I enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's up there. It's probably I don't know. Is it? Uh, is it number three or four? Well, so Jaws is number one. We're talking about shark movies, right? Mm-hmm. Jaws number one? Yeah. What would you go number two? I guess Jaws two. No, dude. I don't know. Jaws two. I, I can't tell if it's just a disappointment compared to Jaws one or if it's really a bad movie. It's much mm-hmm. better than Jaws 3D and Jaws the Revenge. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, what about, well, we both like 47 meters down. Mm-hmm. Do you like it or the Meg better? Um, I think I like the Meg better just because it was... I don't know. The serious ones really freak me out, kind of, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I like like some of the, uh, I don't know, I, I don't like to be anxious in a movie, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm drowning. <laughs> like, I don't know. That 47 down below was pretty rough, you know? Yeah. Uh, what about Deep Blue Sea? Do you remember that? It had Samuel L. Jackson in it for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I thought that one was pretty good. Pretty decent. Yeah. Um, yeah I think I'm going to go Meg number two. And um, I'm going to oh, go 40, wow. 47 meters down number three. What about that? What about that? Was it a B movie or? Uh, oh, I can't see. It may have. Sharknado? Some of may have bad stuff in it that I don't remember. No, it was like Deep Water. Or uh, there's been um, a couple of these that I haven't watched yet, so my my list is subject to revision. But there's one called The Shallows that has Blake Lively in it. I think I've never seen that one either. I've seen it. So anyway, and it I remember it being decent. But see, and again, I don't remember what the content warnings are on all these folks. So be sure you check them out. But I think Deep Water was as far as the scary stuff was good. Um, but it was a it was basically people had been left there on a scuba trip on their honeymoon. I think is what it was. And they had been left by the boat on accident. Oh my gosh! Um, and that and and so they just speculate what happened to them. Oh um, my I don't, gosh! I don't think they ever found them. Oh, I, um, I really don't think I could do that. Like knowing a human actually went through that, I get it. Like people have been bitten and killed by sharks throughout history. That has happened, but knowing mm-hmm. specifically, yeah, this might be what happened to an actual human being. That's really hard for me to to imagine sitting through. Oh yeah, man. It's uh, well, and I'm, I mean, and there's crazy stuff like. Uh, there was a few years ago. A there were two two guys scuba diving, and a big great white came up and ate the other one whole. Like, oh just, my word! Just can you imagine you and me out, or you you and a buddy out scuba diving, and a great white comes up and literally swallows your best friend? I mean, I, I think I would die of a heart attack yeah. right there in the water. Yeah. Well, I've never imagined that before, but I think I'm intentionally going to do so here in a little while. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. All right, so I'm going number two for the Meg on my all-time shark movie list. And I'm like you, that movie was great. It was absolutely everything I wanted from it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any like gratuitous nudity or anything like that. There, I mean, really, there was only even one like sort of uh, sexual reference where she kind of peeks back into his room when she thinks he's changing clothes. Uh, it was just straightforward, big, dumb action movie fun. And man, mm-hmm. I had a blast. I, also, I'll throw this at you. I don't think I've ever seen better from Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did a lot more acting than I'm used to seeing. He was a lot more personable. There was more character development. I mean, all these things are relative terms. Mm-hmm. But for him, yeah, I think that was peak Statham. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I've I've actually tried to stay away from his movies. It's kind of like Nick Cage to me. Um, where I try when I see his movie, I know I know that it's not going to be one that's knocked out of the park. You, you know, it's going to be. How dare you besmirch the good name <laughs> of Nicholas? 
Coppola Cage. How dare you, sir? Is that his real name? Yeah, he's a Coppola. He changed it to Nick Cage so he wouldn't be seen as riding his family's coattails. You got to be kidding me. True story. Learn something new every time that. on Pop Culture Cormdeo. Dude, it, he should have kept the name, man. I might try to watch his movies more. Whatever, dude. If you don't love uh, <laughs> Gone in 60 Seconds and um, <laughs> trying to think of a second movie of his I really like. National Treasures, man. I National love National Treasures, you're right. That's a pretty good Indiana Jones knockoff. Yeah, uh, I, was, I thought it was really good. People are going to turn off as soon as they hear me say this, but I enjoyed Ghost Rider. Did you? Yeah. I, it, yeah. It, it was back before we really seen a lot of superhero movies done well. So the fact that, you know, Ghost Rider was in a movie was probably enough to get it done for me. I remember watching the Sean Connery movie in high school at the movie theater. Um, the Sean Connery movie? Which was- <laughs> the, the one with Nick Cage and him in it. Uh, the Rock. Oh, yeah. The Rock. Golly. How did I forget The Rock? Oh, and he was in Face Off, too, wasn't he? With Travolta? Yes. And Conair. And Conair. Okay. I just completely messed up on the trying to think of a second movie is I like. I have no idea if any of those movies have nudity or something that's objectionable to a Christian conscience, but watching them back in the day, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Didn't he almost... uh didn't he almost cast for Superman at one time? Uh, that's that's a pretty uh, common internet rumor, and who knows? It, it may have been the case. I'm just so thankful we don't live in that timeline. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. I can't I, believe he turned into a. Uh, I could. I remember when he all of a sudden turned into an action hero, and I was like, "What, Nick Cage?" I remember when everybody was like, "Dude, Nick Cage is broke. He will act in anything." Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, he's, he's got a movie on Hulu. Uh, <laughs> I bet he does. That that was recent, and it was it was listed by Rotten Tomatoes. I kid you not, as one of the best movies of the year. I oh, couldn't believe it. Is it the one where he plays a crazy parent? Yes. Yeah, that's supposed to be good. I've not seen it yet, but I've heard good things about it too. I think he takes the shotgun approach to projects. Like you do <laughs> three hundred in a year, and one of them's going to be good. Maybe more than one. Oh, you're making me laugh, dude. <laughs> yeah, the law of averages. That's what that's what his aim is. Yeah. There you Oh, my goodness. Well, that was a very meandering check into what we're both watching right now. Jared and I have actually invented a segment um, that we're going to debut here on this 26th episode of our podcast. And uh, we are calling it... So sorry to interrupt. You probably recognize that audio from Billy Madison. The music there is in reference to uh, an ESPN show called Pardon Interruption. We're generally taking the idea from those guys, but we're going to kind of rapid fire go through some news and some topics to, um, to to do a little bit of a debate over real rapid fire. So with it in mind, welcome to this inaugural edition. Uh, first thing up, Jared, is this new movie that we're both looking forward to called The Predator. I'm super pumped to see that movie. You, however, seem to, to think there's a problem. What's your what's your beef with the Predator? Yeah, this is a rant, man. Why is The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, not in the new Predator movie? Hollywood, tell me why. Why do you hurt me? Why do you hurt me so? Why do you continue to ruin what made the original Predator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger so great? So, for, so first, first thing, why do you keep casting lightweight? So look at Predator 1. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger, a physical specimen, a man's man. You know, the best scene in the movie, the original, is when the Predator takes off his mask, he takes off his gun, and he wants to do hand-to-hand combat with Arnold because he's a worthy opponent. And then you go Predator 2. Who's the hero? Danny Glover. Now, he's a tall fellow, but he's not a physical specimen. And then you jump all the way to 2010, Predators, and who's the... You got Adrian Brody. He's the hero. Adrian Brody. I think my nine-year-old could beat him up. My daughter. 
You know, I kept waiting for him to cry and ball up in the fetal position in that movie. And finally, the new movie, the the new Predator, the soldiers, some of them look smaller than me. Now, I'm sure they could whip me. But, you know, what about Arnold? Why did they not go back to what made the original so great? And so that's the first thing. The second thing is instead of, instead of giving us a soldier like Arnold, instead of giving us a bulked up soldier based on the previews, it looks like Hollywood for the new Predator that you're bulking up the Predator. That you're you're making the predator like super predator. Now, I, I just want to speak for all the predator lovers out there. We do not need you to spice up the predator. We don't need you to change him. We don't need you to bulk him up. We need you to leave him alone. We already love the character. Hey, Hollywood, you already ruined the Joker. Don't ruin the predator too. Literally the best villain in modern history, and you've ruined him with this Jared Leto nonsense. Don't ruin the predator too. Okay, we, Grandpa. Let, let me cut in we, here. We, hey, hey, we already love the Joker. We already love the Predator. We already love the characters. Tell us new stories. Not Don't give us new characters. Let me give you a couple of reasons why Dwayne Johnson is not in the Predator. Skyscraper, 2018. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, 2017. Baywatch, 2017. Central Intelligence, 2016. Uh, it, it's been a little while since Dwayne The Rock Johnson was a certified hit. And in fact, it's been a while since he hasn't done something attached to a previous franchise that hasn't been terrible. If you love The Predator, you don't want Dwayne Johnson attached right now. I'm sorry, man. He just can't open movies. And then, you know, you attach him to something like The Predator, it stops being a Predator movie. It starts being a new Rock movie. And I don't know that Rock, whatever fans he has, uh, they're obviously not showing up to his big blockbuster premieres. Uh, The last several movies of his have tanked. Um, I don't think they're coming over to watch him watch uh, to fight a Predator. So if you're a Predator fan, you should probably be very thankful Dwayne Johnson's not attached. We're more, we're closer to needing a Dwayne Johnson intervention than we are needing him attached to some franchise that you love and want to see reinvigorated. Oh my goodness. I wish I could slap you through the microphone. The Rock has jumped the shark to tie all things together. (laughs) My ribs. My ribs are hurting, man. And I'm saying that as a true believer. I want him to... I like Dwayne Johnson. I mean, we've hung out multiple times. That's not true. But (laughs) I always enjoy his performances. But for some reason, man, he picks terrible projects and people just don't follow him out. We, you know, we've seen this with like Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner should be a huge star, but for whatever reason, he doesn't become a leading man. So they keep trotting, you know, Tom Cruise out of cryo storage, like the Winter Soldier, uh, to to headline new action movies. Mm. We need these guys to step up. And, and, And again, I'm really excited about this Predator project and I'm more excited for it than I would be if Dwayne Johnson was was in it. Mm. So there you go. Those are, those are good points, man. Right. I'll, I'll have to check it out. We'll have, to, we'll have to discuss it once this once we see the movie. Well, speaking of other things that are dead and dying, like Dwayne Johnson's status as an A-list celebrity, um, Movie Pass appears to be shuffling off this mortal coil. Uh, you and I canceled our accounts the exact same day, right, Jared? I believe so, man. Yeah. Why'd you kill yours? I killed it because literally I could not even. <laughs> there were two movies on. There were two movies out of uh, I believe twelve at the movie theater we were at, and they didn't show for like five hours after we were trying to watch. Yeah, that was that's what finally killed me. I, I got on there after a long time not using the service. Uh, I knew they were in a hard spot, and I just I couldn't get over there. So I checked the morning. Uh, the Meg and Christopher Robin were available. I said, sweet. I'm going to go see one of those today. By the time I got over to the theater, like three hours later, both were off the app, and the app was soon off my debit card and off my smartphone. It was a good ride while it lasted, Movie Pass. We, mm-hmm. we will miss you. Hey, so you signed 
signed up for AMC's A-List. That's our local theater. Uh, what's the deal on AMC's A-List again? Um, you get three movies a week, and I believe it's all times. And um, it also, you get bonus points for each movie you go see. Three movies a week? Three movies a week. And um, you uh, you get bonus points for each movie you go see. So it goes, you know, $5 credits for concessions. and But it is double movie pass, so it's $20 a month. Yeah, the other thing that sucks about this, and come at me if you uh, think you can, can challenge me on this, AMC is terrible. I hate AMC as a company. Yeah, I think they're like Frontier and some of these other companies. They they spend all their money in the big markets. You know, if they're they'll put their money like there are good AMC theaters. It's just it's not in Cookville. They've got a monopoly on that area. I've never seen a good AMC theater. I would always regular rather go to Regal or some of the you know like um, niche movie theater places like Alamo uh, mm-hmm. movie theater where you can get dinner and stretch out in a recliner. Uh, when AMC came into Cookville, they they bought a Carmike theater. Uh, the prices went up. Up, nothing improved about the facilities, and the movie started being dimmer. And I, I know management at uh, at the theater, and they worked for Carmike, and then they worked for AMC. They didn't change. They didn't start, you know, being jerks or something. But all these price increases, along with again, they're dimming the screen, and the building's not improved. There's nothing better about the experience. Then uh, when Movie Pass came in, they were the most hostile to Movie Pass. So much so that at our theater, anyway, they wouldn't let you get AMC Stubbs rewards if. You you bought your ticket with Movie Pass. They got full price for Movie Pass every time I bought a ticket. But they mm-hmm. told me I couldn't use my Stubbs Rewards account. Uh, AMC sucks, and uh, if I can do anything to keep from paying them, I'm going to. I, I'm, you know, you talked about they have the they have the the strategy of spending money in bigger locales. I think they survive by being practical monopolies, and mm-hmm. I'm going to fight it as long as I can. I'm sure they will wear me down, but I hate the thought of giving AMC one extra dollar uh out of my out of my wallet i feel like they i feel like they started the fight and they're gonna win because they're the only one who owns a theater in my zip code but man they they have they have just alienated me entirely as a customer yeah i understand man i'm i'm kind of you know there's there's going to be several movies between now and the end of the year that i want to see and so it's more of a like you said if i see three movies a month i'm i'm doing better by buying the a-list thing yeah, that's what's going to eventually break me down. Hey, congratulations, MoviePass. You moved this, um, you know, customer antagonistic company to start doing something more realistic with movie ticket prices. Kudos for that. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Uh, speaking, thing, speaking of things that tick off your customer base, have you seen that Netflix is going to start testing ads? Uh, in I have industry? not. I, that is super foolish, if they're, if that's true. Yeah, so right now the CEO is saying that they're only going to do ads for their own material. So you You'll be watching, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of something you might watch. Are you a Daredevil fan? Yeah. Okay, so you're watching Daredevil, and at some fade to black moment, an ad for Luke Cage is going to show show up, but not you're not going to see an ad for Dial Soap or you know female cosmetics, something like that. Um, and and apparently you can right now anyway go in there and turn this stuff off. But does it not feel to you like like they're uh, they're workshopping full blown ads just like conventional TV? I would say they are. Why I don't understand why they would because they've already got the subscription. Like why do they need to try to push their own stuff within their own app. Like, 
Well, they're full blown on becoming content creators and they, I mean, they're well there, you know, but I'm with you. I know what Netflix stuff I want to see. They've already got these stupid auto run like previews, you know, when I'm Trailers, scrolling through, yeah. I can't, I can't just read the description. I have to watch the, uh, you know, the trailer or skip through it real fast. So I don't, don't end up seeing it. Uh, this is, this is wrong footed. I, I think there's probably no debate on this, but if they start doing ads more widespread, uh, in a way you can't opt out of, you're going to keep paying for Netflix. Um, I would probably embrace a competitor and Netflix, there's a competitor coming. I mean, it's just a matter of time. They need to not alienate their base. Yeah. I mean, who lose out there? Uh, um, and Disney is getting ready to launch their own subscription streaming service. And the right household is probably going to buy the Disney streaming subscription service. And hey, Disney's going to own basically, you know, every movie theater, excuse me, every movie production company in the world. So mm-hmm. if they get the rights to all that, Sony, Fox, all that um, up on their streaming service, Netflix is going to be hurting very quickly. I think this is a it's, it's a silly idea to start uh, antagonizing your customers who are already paying for the content. Uh, uh, that you know, one of the joys is that you can stream uh, these things and binge watch them without having to eat up a bunch of time with commercials. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think this is a good move. And it's odd. It, I mean, you can even they've even got it where you can click to skip the intro every time you watch an episode. Like, yeah, they they know you don't want to be wasting time watching extraneous content, right? Right, and they try to get you to where you don't have to. So it it just doesn't make sense to for them to do that. Um, I mean, I I think it's <clears throat> I do think it's not cool, but um, the previews and all that stuff, the auto run and all that, I mean, that's that's frustrating, but at least, it, I mean, there's been times when I've seen something and because it was auto running, I, I checked it out, you know? Um, yeah. Don't say that into the microphone, dude. You're just going to encourage them. <laughs> yeah. He, the, the CEO listens to this show. Yeah. Well, hello to you, sir. Please do not start this ads mess. <laughs> Uh, you're going to lose a bunch of us to, to Disney and other other competitors. Uh, speaking of bad ideas, Jared, last one I got for you. Have you seen that there's going to be an Oscar category now for popular movies? What does that even mean? Well, so this came out, I guess, last week. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists announced a whole bunch of changes to the Oscar, uh, to the way they do the Oscars. But one of these is an award for popular films. They called it uh, the Prize for Achievement in Popular Film. I'm going to call it the Black Panther Rule. Uh, it's... It's to it's for this anyway. This is my my summary. It's for this stodgy, dusty, elitist organization uh, to figure out a way to acknowledge what the hoi polloi uh, are enjoying at the movie theater while also still saying, no, 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 we know better. Here is the actual best movie of the year. And so it reads to me like them throwing a bone to a movie like Get Out, uh, Black Panther, maybe Infinity War, you know, these movies that are, are big earners at the box office, but don't rise to whatever standards the Academy members think they have for the, the you know, the, the best motion picture of the year. And it just smacks of condescension to me. Am I, am I missing? reading this? No, I think you're right. And uh, these guys are, they're ignoramuses. I mean, didn't Shape of Water win Picture of the Year last year? Yes, that's a perfect example of where, now, I just want to note, there's a lot of people who thought Shape of Water was a decent flick. I'm not among them. Uh, You can read my review on uh, our Pathios site. But nonetheless, a lot of people thought that movie was was good. Okay, that's fine. I'm willing to you know kind of doff my cap to you on that one if, if that's you. But Get Out was the best movie of last year that we what's going to happen is in the same way we go back and look at movies like Shawshank Redemption um 
you know, as being over overlooked or a movie like Forrest Gump, maybe that got too much attention. We're going to go back to this most recent year and say, oh, Get Out was the movie that was the most important movie that year. But they wanted to hand it to a movie about a guy who, or excuse me, a woman who uh, sleeps with a fish. And mm-hmm. we're going to laugh at them like we continue to do. But I guess they get to sit in their ivy t- ivory towers and tell us how, you know, crude and simplistic we are. I just, I look at this move and I think, who does this move please? The Academy, the Academy obviously does doesn't want to acknowledge when a popular movie is super well made and worthy of best picture consideration. So it's not like they're actually doing anything. Um, and then everybody who, you know, is nominated for this or wins it, they're going to have to pretend like it's a big deal, but they're all going to see it as like the JV prize to mm-hmm. the best picture award. I, I just don't know what problem this, this new category fixes. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> and that's before you even get to how do you determine the criteria for something like this? They've been super mystical and secretive about, you know, best picture anyway. Anyway, what are, what are you going to do when you say best picture in popular movies? What? Just forget <laughs> it. Forget it, Academy. Um, you know, at some point, you've got to acknowledge that filmmaking has gotten better. And it's not it's not a curse for people to like a movie. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. it should be excluded from, you know, the best picture award. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Shape of Water could have been the best obscure movie of the year. And I could have given the popular one to somebody else. They need a category for weirdest and grossest movie of the year. Grossest, yeah. And yeah, we'll just have a whole slate of these pretend Oscars that nobody really wants to win. And that'll somehow protect the dignity of the, the Best Picture Award. Get out of here, Academy. Uh, Jerry, we gotta we got to figure out some ways to go at each other a little bit harder. I think we agreed too much on this inaugural uh, edition of... So sorry to interrupt! Yeah, you're right, man. All right. Well, we'll try to do better. We'll try to have more animosity next time, listeners. <laughs> thanks for thanks for being with us on the the maiden voyage there, uh, Jared. You ready to get into Christopher Robin? Absolutely. All right, man. So let me give you my summary here. And uh, after the summary, guys, just a heads up: it's spoiler territory. After that, so we're we're trying to keep the plot details out of the summary. Let you decide if you want to keep listening. Uh, if you do, though, we assume you're happy to have the plot discussed and spoiled. And so, fair warning: after this. Uh, spoiler warnings abound. Uh, so here's the summary. Christopher Robin, 2018, the beloved characters from A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh books come back into the grown-up life of Christopher Robin in surprising, disruptive, and ultimately restorative ways. That's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, your validation is all I live for now, Jared. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Call me every day and I'll let you know how you did. Okay. Thank you. So um, did you watch... Oh, man, it just completely left my mind. Was it Finding Christopher Robin? Saving Christopher Robin? Did you watch that last year? I did not, man. Uh, I think it was kind of ahistorical. If you look into Milne's life, he's not the most pleasant person in the world, apparently, at least based on the historical record. But that movie was really well done. And I guess it was a nice appetizer to this movie. It it, it made me want to see more movies uh, connected to this author and these characters. So mm. anyway, I, I enjoyed it. Um, hey, did you know that the internet started a fight between Paddington and Winnie the Pooh. Are you aware of this? No. Yeah, so they wanted people on Twitter were arguing about who is the cuter bear, Paddington or Winnie the Pooh. You, who you got on that, Jared? I think Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I, I read, I read, I read way too much on this, but I read a comparison of the two. And a guy, a guy claimed that biology would determine who would win. We made the point that uh, Paddington's eyes are more human-like, and that humans, I guess, in clinical trials, respond to uh, human facial features like eyes. So he said. You know, in our, in, in our genes, we're predisposed to like Paddington better. But I'm with you, man. Uh, Winnie the Pooh takes number one in my 
hard anyway. Yeah, I like my humans to be human <laughs> and my bears to be my stuffed animals to be stuffed animals. I'm just left being very thankful that Twitter is here to raise the important issues of our day and give yes. us a forum to hash them out. Hey, hey that, that, will be, that will be a perfect segue later on for me, so remind me of that. Okay. Uh, this emphasis on we need to play more instead of work more. <laughs> okay, so we've got the extended segue here. Um, <laughs> in between, though, I'm going to bring up Paddington again. <laughs> It really is the the clearest comparison. So I think Winnie the Pooh was created in, in 1929 and Paddington came around in 59. But these two like lovable, guileless British bears, uh, they, they do seem like peas in a pod. And, and I think at some point, uh, not in like fan fiction, but in some, you know, some, some stories outside of the main books, maybe a comic book or something like that. I know this is riveting journalism. I'm reporting on here. Um, somebody tried to put them in each other's universes and make a connection between the two. Um, have you seen Paddington and Paddington 2? I've seen, my kids have watched Paddington 1 several times and I've, you know, I've been in the room <laughs> when it's been on. <laughs> I didn't find it captivating. I thought it was funny, like the cleaning his ears out with their toothbrushes and stuff. I thought that was hilarious. But Yeah, the funniest part of those experiences for me, my kids love Paddington and Paddington 2. I've watched Paddington, the original with them, haven't seen part two. My wife watched that with them, um, but we, they 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 were insistent that we get them some marmalade. And I don't know. Have you ever had Turkish delight? No. What is that? So Turkish delight is the thing that Edmund sells his family out for in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. He, the witch offers him these pieces of Turkish delight, and that's what hooks him and gets him in her service. Hmm. I remember reading that as a kid and be like, man, that Turkish delight must be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Dude, I wouldn't feed that to my dog. <laughs> Somebody brought some to school one year, and I was like, what mess is this? I, I legitimately started wondering if C.S. Lewis was like making a meta uh, lesson out of like, he sold them out for the worst candy in the world. Mm, um, that's hilarious. But so my kids were like, we got to have marmalade. Paddington loves marmalade. So Christy went and found some marmalade, and they took big bites out of marmalade, and you could just see the disappointment roll <laughs> all over them. They were just like, is this is this the same marmalade that Paddington eats? We're like, yes, honey. British food is terrible. Yeah, British food. There's no sweetness to it, man. They're 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 skittier over there. So yeah, they they Paddington let them down on that front, but they love Paddington. Um, so the the really the point I want to get to uh, and to hear your thoughts on uh, both bears. I can't believe I'm discussing them this way, but both bears are just straightforward and earnest, and um, I don't want to use the word naive, but because that has a negative connotation to it. The, these mm-hmm. bears are without guile. But it seems like in the Paddington movies, you know, Paddington there at the center of the movie is very similar to Pooh in that lack of, you know, guile. But there's this outer ring in Paddington where they're kind of winking at the camera and, you know, laughing about the way that this can't really exist in the real world. Uh, not in the sense of like a talking bear, but in the sense of someone who's not cynical, jaded, um, mm. you know, just what what we assume about real life in the modern world. But Winnie the Pooh in this movie, there's just none of that. 
You know, there's no winking in clever cynicism at the camera on the part of the adults and the, you know, the non-animated figures in this movie. It's just straightforward, mm-hmm. uh, big-heartedness, uh, unexpectedly profound wisdom, uh, mm-hmm. you know. This is how it should be. That's kind of what this movie says. Yeah, yeah, that, that's well said. So do you agree with me that, that that element of not kind of tipping its hat to the cynical real world makes the Winnie the Pooh movies better? I believe so. I believe so. Um yeah, I just I just want to enjoy something that again, earnest, straightforward, lovable, without having to kind of come back and say, "Yes, sir, I'll, I'll pay my dues." I acknowledge that the real world is broken and everything must be seen through uh, a cracked and dark lens. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, last couple things there, <laughs> I found out that Chinese dissidents are using Winnie the Pooh memes to subvert the oppressive control of President for Life Xi Jinping. Uh, is this on your radar at all? No, man. <laughs> so, so you know that China obviously is a is a is a government that controls what their citizens can say in public with a pretty pretty tight fist. Mm-hmm. So like I was I was reading that not too long ago when the president announced that he would not leave office and that he'd be president for life, basically, like their social media sites blocked the phrase do not agree and uh, disappointed so that people couldn't, you know, use that in public. Oh, wow. So these uh, Chinese dis- dissidents who who want to break with the, you know, acceptable narrative, they've started using Winnie the Pooh narratives. Apparently, Pooh is supposed to be a stand in for Jinping and they go through and like liken him to the bear in multiple different ways, so much so that China didn't allow this movie to be released. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's like 34. There's a quota. So there's 34 foreign films that China will allow in each year. And this one has been this one has been blocked. And in fact, there was a meme that was so popular. It's uh, Winnie the Pooh hugging this huge honeypot that all these dissidents went and started liking and, and the equivalent of retweeting to liken it to uh, Jinping not leaving office that hmm. Disney took it down so that, you know, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be kicked out of the Chinese market. Wow. Dude, there's a that's interesting. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh as Winnie the Pooh memes as cultural warfare. Not what I would have expected when I kind of started looking into this character's relevance in the modern day. Not at all, man. That's a that's awesome. I mean, that's a sticking it to the man with Winnie the Pooh. Well, it's pretty clever, you know. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm with you. Like I kind of admire the the pirate like uh attitude there, you know, the swashbuckling sense of I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to what I want no matter what. Um what a big weenie dude i mean don't make winnie the pooh memes out of me <laughs> you just called the, the the president of china a big weenie yes Jared Moore with the hot takes today. Yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. Like the 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 way to make a thing that you don't like an even bigger thing is to let everybody know how much you dislike it and try to tamp down on it. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I mean, look at look. At, <laughs> I mean, I know we got freedom of speech here, but look at all the things that are said about Trump. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and this dude can't handle Winnie the Pooh. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Thin skin. Uh, <laughs> but kudos to the Chinese audience uh, finding a way. Way around that, and I guess I assume that this will make the Pop Culture Quorum Dale podcast outlawed in China. So uh, get ready exactly. for that drop and download, Jared. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Way to go. Uh, two other points before we get into the analysis. Um, who was the breakout star in this movie for you, Jared? I think Pooh, man. Really? I mean, he was hilarious. Yes, he. I laughed and laughed. 
Um, I mean, I thought this movie was one of the funniest movies that I've seen in a long time. Like, this is what I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting it to be funny. Like, it's where I would laugh, but I laughed out loud a few times. Oh, I did and, too. Straight and, up, no shame in my game. This movie had me very emotional. Yeah. Like, I was wiping my eyes a couple times. In fact, I think you got to go to the restroom at one point towards the end. Yeah. And I was so thankful because I was like wiping away, you know, I think it got dusty in the theater. And I was like, Jared would make so much fun of me right now. Uh, oh, dude, I, I did too a little bit. But yeah, you cry in a lot of movies. <laughs> No comment. I'm just I'm making a note here to edit out that part from the from the show. It's going to cut that out. Okay. Uh, but yes, I also laughed. I laughed a ton. Uh, so yeah, I cried. I laughed. That sounds like the most stereotypical movie review ever. But you're right. <laughs> Pooh was Pooh was very funny. You know, they play up this like Pooh says things that are profound, even though he doesn't mean to, and some of it's nonsense. Like doing nothing is the best way to find something, or uh, you know, some yeah. of it's not that great. But he does drop a few profound like one liners, and yeah, he's. I mean, he's, uh, you know, it's funny the way he puts everyone around him in chaos. So, yeah. Even that balloon. I mean, the balloon scene where he's like, Can I, my red balloon. I want a red balloon. Why? Because it, it makes me happy. I mean, it was just, it was just, I mean, the, the debate back and forth and, and he's just, and it's like a, I don't know, it's almost like a, a tortoise in the hare where story where Pooh is just, he doesn't ever get in a hurry about anything. He's just kind of nonchalantly enjoying life. And this dude who's running around with his head cut off is miserable. Yeah, that's a really great point, Jared. Pooh's just the juggernaut. You know, he just moves on at his own pace, <laughs> oblivious to everything else. And everybody else has to react to him. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, that, and that is an enjoyable part of this movie. You know, another thing I really appreciate about this movie is that it doesn't try to explain itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get this deal. I guess my assumption from what we saw on screen is that when he grew up, Christopher Robin forgot about Winnie, Winnie the Pooh and like the woodland friends, but he sees after his daughter discovers some of his old drawings, he sees a picture of Winnie the Pooh and honey gets spilled over it. And then we see Pooh wake up. And so I'm assuming that Winnie the Pooh exists when Christopher Robin has him in mind in some sense. But then Pooh walks out of the Hundred Acre Woods into real life London. Mm-hmm. And he he's not, you know, Christopher Robin thinks he's gone crazy, but Pooh's actually there. He breaks dishes. And when he's talking to Christopher Robin, every time somebody notices it, they freak out because they know these animals shouldn't be talking. And mm-hmm. the movie never tries to give us the math on this. You know what I mean? It's never it never says, well, yes, Pooh actually exists in Christopher Robin's imagination, but can enter the real world and functions the same way in the real world he does in his imagination. Oh, but also back in the Hundred Acre Woods, he's friends with an actual rabbit and, you know, an actual owl, but mm-hmm. then a stuffed kangaroo. It just... Yeah. Hey, this is our world. Come, come, come play in it for a little while. I, I, I really enjoyed that part of this movie. Yeah. And, we, you know, kid, we don't need all those things explained. That's not why we're watching it, you know? Absolutely with you. It, it's like a literal invitation into imagination. You just don't have to You don't have to do the math on it. I'm totally with you. I, my breakout star was Eeyore, man. I never, you know, I've watched quite a few Winnie the Pooh cartoons as a kid and an adult. Um, you know, my, my family, you're talking about us having three channels. My family got one of those huge satellites that you use back in the day. And uh, we paid for like basic program, but it didn't include the Disney channel. So every now mm-hmm. And you get a Disney Channel preview and you get to see Winnie the Pooh or like Fraggle Rock or some of the yeah. premium shows. And it just makes me think of those uh, franchises as more prestigious. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I ended up watching as much Pooh as I could when we would have the opportunity to do that. And I never really cared for Eeyore. But what you said about Winnie the 
the poo being funny in this movie. I, man, Eeyore is awesome. I'm ready to see an Eeyore spinoff. Yeah, man. Yeah, Eeyore would be my second favorite. Uh, I mean, he was probably <clears throat> he was probably my favorite in the cartoons. Eeyore really? was. Yeah, he just always pessimistic, always miserable, like always cup half empty. And Pooh's kind of the opposite, a, a cup half full all the time. You know, half full, half full of honey. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for an Eeyore and Tigger buddy cop movie where <laughs> they're on the Heffalump hey, Patrol. Hey, that's coming out. What's it called? The the that movie Melissa McCarthy, the puppet Dude, thing. Don't mention coming. anything more. That movie is so <laughs> filthy it will corrupt this episode if you go any further. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, no. I just You we, should repent right now before the Lord <laughs> of knowing that, that movie exists. Don't watch the previews at all. Never. Never ever. Uh so yeah, I'm ready for the I'm ready for the Buddy Cop spinoff. Y'all get on that. Maybe we can get uh Mark Wahlberg involved somehow. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That would be great. He was great. I mean, yeah. Uh, lastly, I've read a bunch of reviews on this movie, and I was trying to read UK reviews. Uh, the Guardian, Simron Hands, and The Telegraph, Robbie Collins, both the reviewers said they didn't know who this movie was for. What? They didn't know who this movie was for, is what I meant to say. And uh, that confuses me terribly. I feel like I feel like no one in my life wouldn't enjoy that movie. Yeah. And so I just wrote down that this movie is for humans. <laughs> I want to mail that to them and say, you've missed it. The audience here, the target audience is human beings <laughs> who aren't cynical, jaded uh, movie critics sitting up in their offices, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to how to find existential angst and everything that comes across their eyelids. It was real. It did. It did its job, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it was did. great, man. I'm I'm yeah. a huge fan too. Absolutely. I think. I mean, I I'll go ahead and say it now, man. I think. Uh, what maybe the third best movie of the year or fourth? Oh, can you so, can you tell me what the other ones are? I think uh, a quiet place, hostels, and then uh, this movie or Infinity War. So, so are you counting hostels in this year's movies? I mean, oh, was it not? Was it not this year? I thought it was this year. I think it released to theaters... Or I think it was listed as a 2017 movie. Okay, I, I thought we I'm saw right. it in like January. Yeah, or I think I think it was picked up. It was created in in 2017, picked up by that distribution company we talked about on the episode, and they released it early in January. But I think it actually goes in as a 17 movie. I could be wrong on that, but uh-huh. anyway. So we're in your calendar year then. In uh, Quiet Place, Hostiles. What was the other one? Probably Infinity War, yeah, and, Infinity then, War. and then this movie. Yeah. And then the Meg. <laughs> Meg is way down there, dude. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to argue. All of those movies, by the way, except for The Meg, are available in the Pop Culture Cormdale podcast archives, available on your favorite streaming service. Uh, streaming service? Podcast streaming service. <laughs> Enough about this movie uh, outside of our analysis, though, Jared. we got to pay the bills around here. Let's get into what we do best. Uh, let's start chopping this, things up, this thing up. So uh, the first thing we do is look at the worldview of this movie. We compare... This this movie story against the story that God the Father is telling about God the Son through what we call history. And that story comes in the form of four acts. Creation, God creates everything good. Fall, uh, God's creation rebels against him and suffers the just consequences, namely
namely death and destruction. Uh, but then in the third act, redemption comes. God is committed to his purposes and does good to his undeserving creation, brings a redeemer who starts to set everything right. And fourth act is glorification, where the redeemer has accomplished his work, made everything right again in joyful obedience to his father and for the good of his people. So, Jared, in creation within the world of Christopher Robin, uh, just some things that the movie says are good. What what does this movie say is good? Um, kids with big Im- imaginations uh, should have fun as children, but unfortunately they often grow up to be adults with too much responsibility to enjoy the most important things in life. And so they we kind of need get to get back to that childlike innocence, I guess. Yeah, that's well said. I, I noted that as well. I, I'm always going to be a fan of a movie that says imagination and childlikeness are good things and should be honored. You know, they, they can't be the sum total of life, but they also shouldn't be pushed to the margins of life is useless or irrelevant. I also noticed in this movie that families really matter, mm-hmm. uh, which is refreshing. And also that children really matter. You, know, you kind of see Christopher Robin's story. I think it, it's dystopian. You know, things go wrong in his development into adulthood. There's a war. His dad dies young. It kind of goes off the rails for him and becomes mm-hmm. this person that uh, we would have never expected, you know, watching him and Pooh conduct their adventures in the Hundred Acre Woods. Uh, but then you have this opportunity to repeat or reset with his daughter. And we see her sort of being pushed along the same lines by Christopher Robin. And I think, you know, one of the ways they do this is pretty, uh, pretty blatant. He supposed she asks, uh, his daughter asks Christopher Robin to read her a bedtime story. And he, um, he says, oh, absolutely. And you see her reach into uh, the covers where she's got, I think, Treasure Island hidden. Is that the movie? Or is that the book that was in there? I never saw it, man. Yeah. I never saw the title. I think it was um, Treasure Island. But anyway, he says, oh, absolutely. And he reaches over and grabs one of her textbooks about, uh, you know, the development of Western history. And he starts going through like the uh, uh, Victorian era giving way to the, you know, next era and so on and so forth. And um, it's it's just a really sad scene because she ends up realizing, oh, he's going to read he's going to read that book. And she she says, Dad, you know what? I think I'm really kind of tired and just shuts down. And he, he says, oh, all right. And he steps out of the room and she's supposed to be in bed. But she see he rather standing outside in the hallway, sees her light click back on. So she has she's shoved him out rightfully so because he's, you know, he's reading her from this board. He's reading to her from this boring textbook, but then pressed on without him in the kind of story she actually wants to read. And I just thought that was really poignant. Yeah, yeah, I do too, man. Do, do, do you think there's a subtle... A subtle emphasis on him becoming his father because he it seems like that part of the reason he was with part of the reason he was in the Hundred Acre Woods was because he didn't have much of a home life. Oh, maybe. That's a really interesting question. I, I guess I wouldn't say I picked up on that, but that seems like it's entirely possible. What what made you think that? They they send him away from boarding school and basically how he's away to boarding school and basically him, his raising of his daughter and his emphasis on studies and all this stuff and why he left the Hundred Acre Woods behind was because he was sent away. And I think in part he was sent away because... Um, you know, he was too much of a child, I guess you could say, or too much imagination or too much skin knees, you know, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That very well may be what's going on. Um, you know what else that, that little scene made me think of? What? Have you read the Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia? 
Yes. Do you remember there's a character there named Eustace Clarence Scrub? He's he's a cousin of the Pevensies. Well, he he comes into the narrative as this insufferable dolt. Um, but you know, thankfully he he's redeemed under Aslan's care. But uh, if you'll bear with me just a minute, this is how we meet him in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. His parents called him Eustace Clarence, and masters called him Scrub. I can't tell you how his friends spoke to him, for he had none. He didn't call his father and mother, father and mother, but rather Harold and Alberta. They were very up-to-date and advanced people. They were vegetarians, non-smokers, teetotalers, and wore a special kind of underclothes. In their house, there was very little furniture, very few clothes on beds, and the windows were always open. Eustace Clarence liked animals, especially beetles, if they were dead and pinned on a Hard. He liked books if they were books of information and had pictures of grain elevators or of fat foreign children doing exercises in model schools. And it just sticks out to me, you know, Lewis obviously is a writer, loves literature, and he says he likes books, but only if they're about drains. And hmm. later in that story, Eustace, uh, not to drop a spoiler on The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and if I'm spoiling The Voyage of the Dawn Treader to you, look, all I got to say to you is, come on, man, you got to straighten that out. But, um, <laughs> you know, Eustace becomes a dragon. And the the, the narrator of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader says, you know, if he'd have read the, the better kind of books, he would have known what trouble he was in and avoided this. And yeah, you just watch with this little girl wanting to read a book about high adventure. And mm-hmm. dad says, let's get a book about drains uh, in the way that that is kind of suffocating to a child. Anyway, that resonated with me. Yeah, that's now, a what, good point. Yeah. What's fallen in this world, Jared? Um, When adults uh, forget why they're working so hard to begin with, um, you know, to love their families, to love their friends, to enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So I'm going to, I'm going to just riff off that a little bit. I think it's this reduced idea of what it means for their children to be successful adults. He's got this, I think the daughter's name is Madeline. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but anyway, he he has this vision for his daughter that she go to the best boarding school and that will ultimately set her up for the best career. Mm -hmm. And so this vocational life of, you know, we assume monetary success and preeminence within your field, you know, that's what he's seeing as being a faithful father to her, setting her up well for the future. Mm -hmm. But he, he's just embraced such a reduced vision of what it means to be a thriving human being, right? And so yeah, he's cut all these uh, extraneous in his eyes things out of her life, like recreation and play and whimsy. Uh, and yeah, I think that's fallen. I think he's bought into a very materialistic, mechanistic view of mm-hmm. human life that doesn't really comprehend everything it means to be an image bearer of this creative God that we worship. Mm-hmm. Now, what about redemption? Um, I think redemption happens in this movie when men work hard, but work for the sake of their families, not neglecting them. Yeah. Now, do you agree with me that this is the goofiest part of the movie? Yeah, the en- the ending. Yeah. And so he, he solves the problem of his company's dwindling uh, profit margin by telling them to spend their way out of the problem. Basically, give more people paid vacations and make your products cheaper. And these people, as they go on their vacations, will buy your cheap cheaper luggage to take their vacations with. And it's, you know, it's it's like the most unbelievable part of a movie that yeah. is built on sentient stuffed animals who are friends with talking woodland animals. Um, so that was the that was really the one time of the movie where I got taken out of the imaginative sweep of the movie. I was like, that's really really dumb. There's, <laughs> I'm prepared to believe in a talking Pooh Bear, but I'm not prepared to believe in your strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, well, you're you need to cut you need to cut costs by twenty percent, and the answer is to give all your 
your employees paid vacation. Across multiple companies, he says, you know. Yeah. And then sell them cheap luggage, though. Nobody, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so redemption, uh, that that's it. What about glorification? Um, glorification happens when all men are permitted by employers to work, provide for their families, and have vacations for the sake of enjoying their families more. Yeah, that's a mixed bag, right? Like there's some, some wacky uh, ideas even in that. So the cynical version of me says that the the glorification in this movie is career life balance, which sounds very like hipster and millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to go with the more wholesome side of my psyche, kind of in, in vain with you, that um, this movie says life can be good when family is placed as a as a right priority over other very important matters, but matters that are nonetheless of lesser importance than the family's well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned Ted Turnow earlier. We're going to get into his questions now. The first of those being, uh, what's the story? And we hope to get it right. And uh, that's what we hope we've just accomplished by our worldview analysis. Um, second question there is, where am I in the story? And uh, Ted would have us to see the style and shape of the imaginary world. So, Jared, when you're in this movie, where are you at in the movie? Well, I'm I'm back when I was a kid, man. <clears throat> you know, um, you know, for parents who are taking their children to this movie, there's a lot of nostalgia built into Winnie the Pooh from the books, the cartoons, and so Hollywood is anytime they're playing with something that people loved as children, and now they're grown up, they're playing with fire. But I think they did a great job with this movie. They got the characters right. They even tried to get them to look like the cartoons. They even tried to match the voices to the cartoons. It was very close to the voices. So, so they they didn't try to spice up the characters any. Well, hey, can I, I interject there real quick? Yeah, yeah, sure. So apparently that was the original voice of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, wow. Which makes all the sense that. in the world. And I think he also did a couple of the other voices. I'm assuming he did Tigger because Tigger sounded the same to me as well. Uh, but Piglet, I know for sure Piglet was a new voice actor. Mm-hmm. So anyway. I, I thought Tigger was a little bit off, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe I've misread it. But so yeah, anyway, at least Winnie the Pooh is the guy who's always been doing him. And it's so good because we got this little Winnie the Pear, but he sounds like an old man. You know, he sounds mm-hmm. like a doddering old man. So it just works really well. Anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you too bad there, but ca- carry on. You know, in that way, it kind of reminded me of the Peanuts movie. Did you see the new the newest Peanuts movie? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it with my kids. Dude, I thought that was well done, too, um, where they actually tried to basically bring bring the old characters into into today's time, um, today's animation. And I, I, we need new stories. I, I, I don't think they have to tweak the characters. Um, you know, also, I find myself uh, being the dad in this. You know, I'm I'm too busy. Um, if, and if I'm not careful, I can neglect the reason why I'm working so hard to begin with. You know, listeners, Jeff and I are pastors and neither neither one of us want to raise uh, stereotypical preacher's kids. And uh, so in order to do that, we're going to need to spend time with our children, uh, a lot of time with our children, um, you know, more time with our children than we do with our uh, congregations in many ways. Well, they, I mean, your family is your first congregation. And mm, yeah. if Paul is right uh, in the Bible, and spoiler warning, we think he is, uh, you know, your your family qualifies you to serve in the church mm-hmm. as a pastor. So, yeah, it's, it's important work. I'm with you. What I wrote down is that I'm a dad worried that, I mean, this is part of the reason I teared up. I'm worried that my desire to fulfill my career and even other concerns, you know, I'm just afraid that the, those things have pushed my kids to the edge of my life. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm also a dad who realizes that even if I'm having success, not pushing them to the margins, their childhood is a good and beautiful thing to be enjoyed, but it's passing by rapidly and will never again appear in eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, my children, I think I will I will see the best of the childlikeness that I love in my children now in the glorified state, because I think those things are part of, you know, the beauty of being a human. I don't think adolescence is something to be thrown away but that all Mm -hmm. good things will be caught up there. But I assume uh, there's no way for me to ever have my oldest son back to... You know, cuddle up the way I did with him when we watched movies when he was three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I feel the weight of that watching this movie. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that's one of the reasons it got dusty where we were sitting. Yeah, kind of a cats in the cradle type, absolutely type thing, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But I, uh, my my daughter tonight asked me, um, when when can I play outside with you again? And I got to thank you, man. It, it's been a long time since we've like we played wolf ball. I think the last time we played together outside. Dude, that's been a long time ago. And I mean, we we play, we sit down and play video games or watch TV and um, we're together all the time. But it's just, uh, I don't know, that's a sobering question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And look, here's the thing. I I don't mean to like be Debbie Downer, but when you're most faithful as a parent, you're you're building up a storehouse of memories of getting to do that with her. You know, Mm -hmm. I I believe that you'll get to enjoy her fellowship in eternity, Mm -hmm. but it won't be as a little girl, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess it's a little dusty in my house too. I need to change the vent filter. Uh, yeah, man. Those, those are weighty things, at least on my heart. Yeah. Um. So what's good, true and awesome here. And so we're looking to behold common grace. I think this was the funniest movie I've seen this year. Now that might, that might be, maybe I'm not watching the right funny movies, but this is how you do clean comedy. Mm, well said. I mean, the, the, to me, this movie just proves that you don't have to be vulgar. You don't have to be a Seth Rogen or a, you don't have to do that to even, even the counter part of this, this, that movie that's coming out that we won't, we won't watch uh, with Melissa McCarthy. I mean, with puppets, you know, that you don't have to do that sure. in order to make people laugh. I was, dude, I was hee-hawing. I mean, I, I thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed the humor and the characters. Um, I think you used the, the term charming. They were, they were lovable. Like you, even though they're all distinctly different, um, I mean, they're all almost the exact opposite of each other in differing ways. You've got the optimist, the cockeyed optimist. You've got the cynical. Um, you've got the glasses half full. you got the one who's scared of everything. Um, I mean, it, it was just a great movie. Couldn't agree more, brother. Couldn't agree more. You mentioned earlier where, like, with Peanuts, they tried to pull the classic characters into new situations, and they've done that with Winnie the Pooh here. Mm-hmm. Um, even though this is a movie is set, obviously, in an earlier time period, it's an attempt to freshen it up for new audiences. Um, not to make everything about C.S. Lewis in this, but, you know, Lewis says that there's a there's a usefulness to reading old books because the old books are going to have blind spots, too, but because they're of a different culture and society, uh, they're not going to have the same blind spots we have. And mm. I think your point's really good. Just bring these characters back into, you know, more contemporary conversations. 
and let their their look at the world, uh, let it kind of critique in, in some ways in really challenging ways. You know, when um, there's this scene where Pooh and Christopher Robin come to a, a breakdown in their relationship where Christopher Robin's telling Pooh that he just doesn't have more time to wander around the woods with him. And he's explaining the dilemmas of work to him. He says, I may have to let some people go. And Pooh looks at him and says, did you look, did you let me go? And, you know, you go back as the watcher to the earlier part of the movie where they're sitting there right before Christopher Robin goes off to boarding school. And, hey, I promise I'll never forget you. And, you know, we'll we'll mm-hmm. we'll know each other when we're 100 years old. Um, that's a pretty good critique coming from the mouth of a bear created in the imagination of someone living in 1929 of even the contemporary world. So like with Lewis, I think bring these characters out, let them talk like artifacts from 1930 and mm-hmm. see what that says to 2018. Yeah, good call, man. Well, what's good, true, and awesome here? So beholding common grace, uh, I'm going to take that question and I'm going to point us back to um, an old Robin Williams movie. Do you remember Hook? Yeah. This movie made me think about Hook. Really? Yeah, because you've got Christopher Robin growing up like Peter Pan grew up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. And you've got these friends who who knew him in bygone days coming to kind of call him out Mm -hmm. of what he's become, at least the parts of it that aren't, you know, aren't, aren't so good. Um, yeah, man, I, that was probably my second favorite movie growing up behind Predator. <laughs> you have a wide <laughs> spectrum there. It, is, Hook, is Hook a Christmas movie? Um, no. Oh, I was going to say, I finally finally figured out a, a oh, Christmas movie. Oh, yeah, it movie. is. Okay. So there, maybe there's the Christmas movie that you and I can agree on. Wow. You do like Christmas movies. Yeah. Yeah, I like Robin Williams movies most of the time. Uh, but anyway, that, so in the same way that Hook does, this film reminds us that childhood matters. Um, Childlikeness matters. Imagination and whimsy are good things to be cherished and even cultivated, not just in children, but among adults. Um, and yeah, and again, family, specifically children, matter in this movie. Uh, I think all that's really good. And that's a product of the image of God popping up in the people who wrote this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like other movies we've talked about, uh, this movie reminds us that our identity is found in our relationships. It's not, it's not primarily about who I think myself to be or, you know, in, in the, my identity is not primarily found in where I feel like I'm my, my most authentic self, but who I am is really largely defined by who am I responsible for? Who do I have obligation for, to? And what actions do I take within the context of those obligations? So like I can think of myself as whatever my imagination wants to lead me to believe. But really the truth is I am Christy Wright's husband and my children's father. And what I do in the context of those relationships actually says who I am, not, not my own, again, imaginative or even you know what I feel emotionally to be most true about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side of that, Jared, what's distorted, evil, and false? How do we subvert idolatry? Well, I, I love this movie, but uh, if there, I do think there is an idol. I think I think that the idol. It seems to argue that kind of that work is the enemy, and that. Even even big business. I think there was a shot taken at big business, and I, I think that's why the preposterous assumption at the end, right? If if big business wasn't so greedy, they could just give everybody vacations, and they could just um, is kind of what I thought was yeah. being presented. I think that's fair. Um, and so the mantra though seems to be: if families just had more leisure time, they would be stronger. But literally in America, historically, we have more leisure time now than we have ever had. 
and our family stronger. Mm. Um, in my opinion, and I, I think I can prove this historically, families do best when they must fight to survive. Families are often stronger when there is poverty, not plenty. Mm. I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong to have wealth, um, but what I am saying is that the idol in this movie that leisure leads to strong families simply is not true, and it never has been. The assumption seems to be the less responsibility parents have, the less stress, the stronger families will be. And I think that's the idol in this movie. If you just have less stress, your family life will be where it needs to be. And the truth is that there's a there's a heart problem. The, the problem isn't the stress in our lives, dude. It's how we deal with it. Yeah. And and it's the it's the sinfulness out of out of the heart the mouth speaks. You know, it's not the stress that causes me to sin. Um, I sin because I'm a sinner. And if I don't, if I blame the stress or if I blame big business or I blame X, Y, or Z or not enough vacation time or blah, 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 whatever fill in the blank is, all we're doing is dealing with the symptom that really isn't, that's not going to fix anything. That's not going to fix our families unless we repent of what the problem is. And that's where the gospel comes in. Yeah, man, that's that's really great. I, di- I didn't have kind of any reference to that until you start explaining it. But man, that makes all the sense in the world now that I've heard you say it. So, you know, that's the idol that stands across from the one the movie says it's going after, right? So mm-hmm. it's critiquing the career-driven person who pushes everything aside for some future bright day that this great career is going to create for him or his loved ones. And just across from it is this other ditch that you've identified, which is, oh yeah, if we just, if if wealthy businesses or wealthy people gave us their money and we could all have leisure, you know, the world would be better. That's, yeah, I think you've nailed it there, man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I would, I mean, don't misunderstand me. I would love to have leisure, but, um, but oftentimes you think about what you and I do with leisure and, mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, it's and I say that, you know, not that we're abusing leisure or anything, but it's just um, I don't think what Americans need is more leisure. If anything, we need to we need to take responsibility. That's what we need is is to own up to our sin, like own up to the things that we do instead of blaming others. Um, But but anyway, well, the only thing I'm going to add, I'm going to I'm going to say this is subordinate to your overarching it, what you've rightly identified as the overarching idol here. I, it, there's no explanation in this movie as to why it matters what Robin's relationship to his daughter is or to his wife or the Woodland friends or even his job. Like We're supposed to understand just intrinsically that dads should care for their daughters and not choke the life out of enjoyment um, in their children mm-hmm. and should value their families and should not put work over them. But this movie just assumes it and never says why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what Nancy Piercy calls the great leap in her books. You know, we, we can't help but live as humans created in the image of God in his world. Mm-hmm. But we want to go around and tell stories that assume all those things, yet deny that there's a telos that's actually calling us to conformity to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, we never get any sense that it really, that there's any objective reason why his daughter is better off when she gets a chance to spend more time with her dad or spend more time at play. Mm-hmm. And if she had been shuttled off to boarding school and rigidly, you know, locked into a career path at, at 12 years old, we, you know, we, there's nothing to measure those choices against. And it's the, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's the postmodern delusion that's seeping into this movie. Yeah. Amen. So those are a couple of things to be looking out for there. Uh, listener last year, you know, really the money question, how does the gospel apply here? 
Well, I think uh, less uh, responsibility is not the answer to what plagues mankind. Instead, it's more responsibility. It's taking responsibility, taking the responsibility um, concerning our actions, our thoughts. Every thought that we've ever entertained, um, everything we've ever done, we are accountable to God for. And forgetting or ignoring this reality is not the answer. Instead, we must embrace this responsibility. And so once we've embraced that responsibility, the only option is, to, well, either either Jesus has taken our punishment or we will. And uh, so we must repent and believe in Christ. And and what's amazing is, is that, um, you know, Christ, what's amazing about the gospel is that he has come to fulfill the law for his people. All that God has required of his people, well, of, of mankind, Christ came to fulfill. And so our responsibility has shifted from attempting to fulfill the Old Testament covenants and the Old Testament law in order to earn our salvation. So we went from that to embracing Jesus Christ and through faith, accepting his righteousness that he has provided. And and so, so you have this glorious language after, for example, in Romans 12, when Paul explains this exhaustive description of salvation from chapter one to chapter 11, he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, so this is how you should respond. He tells his readers to submit their themselves, a, their lives, a living sacrifice. And that, that's a very, it's a very strange thing to say. Well, and the reason why that you and I need to submit ourselves a living sacrifice to God is because the ultimate sacrifice <clears throat> has already been made <clears throat> and paid by Christ for us. And so we don't have to sacrifice for our sins. That's already been done. And so we, we submit ourselves every single day because Christ has earned our salvation. We're children of God. I mean, all the, all the glorious language. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful for that reality. So we get to enjoy. So you talk you talk about leisure. It it really changes and transforms. So work, work is no longer drudgery when you're a Christian, or it shouldn't be. There's a, a dignity to work. And there if God can be glorified through it, then it's worth doing. Well said. And and um and and so that that just throws out do a job you love. Now don't misunderstand me. I chose a job I love, but there are days I don't love it. But if God God can be glorified through it, I need to press on, right? And same way with relationships and the co- think of the covenant of marriage and and days when your wife isn't lovable or you're not lovable the covenant holds y'all together and and so God is glorified through that and the list can go on and on and on um, but um, I'm I'm kind of rambling here that's what that's what preachers do sometimes but uh, but anyway I I think Jesus is infinitely better what he what he offers than what this movie offers even though it's a fairy tale and there's so much praiseworthy about this movie. Um, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. So thankful that, you know, Christ provides a, um, well, I mean, provides what this movie longs for, this this safety, this, I mean, God created all the things that this movie is celebrating, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's what, when you're talking through that, I was thinking that we have a God who has vocational, um, you know, he has vocational purposes, even mm-hmm. within himself. He's creative and he sustains. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, he rests. Not because he's tired, but because he wants to enjoy what his good work has accomplished. Right. And that that, that rest is available to us. We get to rest from our labors uh, trying to earn his favor by going into the, you know, into the covenant relationship that Christ offers to those who confess him as Lord. And that that, thankfully, the opportunity to enter that rest remains open. Uh, and it kind of gives shape to our own lives as sub-creators, these image bearers that have a vocational purpose that our creator's given us, but also uh, bids us to come in and 
rest, you know, as finite creatures in his sufficiency. So, yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing I'm going to throw in there, too, is that in, in, kind of like in Coco, uh, if you want to listen to that episode, it's in our archives. But in Coco, the major theme is remembering. And I think remembering is a major theme in Hook, but also in Christopher Robin. It's remember who you were. Remember these relationships and let that call you back to a healthier version of who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just reminded, you know, when I see Pooh trundle out of the Hundred Acre Woods, searching for Christopher Robin and refusing to relate to him as if he's as if he's anything other than the Christopher Robin he he knew the last time he saw him. You know, it, mm-hmm. the adult Christopher Robin spends so much time, time trying to tell Pooh I'm a different person, and Pooh just wonderfully ignores him entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to go to Jesus card on this, but I, in the same way, I came out of Coco being thankful that I'm not dependent upon my love loved ones to remember me, uh, my earthly loved ones. Uh, I am very thankful that my father in heaven and his son will always remember me and that they are faithful to pursue me, that they're more uh, disturbed by my wickedness and more interested in my good than even I am. And that when they call out to me to call me out of my rebellion and call me into um, you know, the enjoyment of the glory of Christ, they're calling me into uh, who I actually am as someone who bears the image of my creator, but also calling me into a, into a more robust and healthy humanity. I'm, I'm more human the closer I walk with Christ. And so, again, I don't want to stretch the image of Pooh too far there, but it does kind of give me a, a little bit of a ripple or an echo uh, coming out of the, the faithfulness of Christ to call me out of my wicked self and into Him very mm-hmm. profitably. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it was a great, great movie. I, it's one I'll buy definitely. Yeah, I came home actually with you and I watched the Meg and Christopher Robin on the same day. Uh, I came back and I told my wife like I can't wait to watch both of these movies with you. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. want her to have that experience too. Don't get me wrong, Jared, I, I love being there with you, but uh, my spouse, I would love that as well. So yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to going through them again, uh, Jared. Anything else on this movie before we put a bow on it? Um, just to, can I just give a brief note about. I don't know. We we've been trained so much by Western and Western emphasis on work, and I don't know. I just I just see every now and then folks talking about women and men feeling being neglected, and um, as far as marriage is concerned, and time, and and that was something we didn't really hit on in this movie. But the wife was all obviously feeling neglected, and um, man, during like think about during the Great Depression, um, when you when people are worried about starving to death. You know, if somebody's out there working hundred hours, um, trying to feed their family, or you think of a soldier in war, sure, and how respected that is when the soldier goes away, and or pretty much most other countries besides America, you know, yeah. um, like even I heard a I can't remember who it was. It may have been D. A. Carson talking about the First Corinthians text that talks about where Paul is, is telling him, "Listen, y'all need to spend time together sexually," and the only time, the only reason you shouldn't is because of prayer. Um, um, he pointed out that most of the people he was writing were probably working like 12, 15 hour days. And he he w- he had to tell them, he was telling them to spend time together. Like he was telling them, no, 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 you need to make time because they're exhausted. Yeah, um, good call. And, um, and, and so I just, I think this 40 hour work week, and if you don't spend time or even 60 hours, I mean, it, historically, it's probably closer to 70, you know, or, um, and yet marriage just somehow thrived and survived and but but anyway so i i'm just hesitant to i hear i think people are quick to claim neglect and whenever i start looking at some of these marriages and, and time and i'm thinking you know
you know, this is you have a very Western view of how much time spouses and and just not appreciating the fact that your spouse is out there working, trying to trying to help take care of you and the family. And but anyway. Well, I'm pretty sure you didn't learn the lesson of Christopher Robin and you've become a heffalump. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Jared. <laughs> my ribs, my ribs, dude. Yeah. I've got cracked ribs and, and for real, I did pretty well <laughs> until just then. I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, those cracked ribs are your body turning into the body of a heffalump. And I, <laughs> I don't know how to save you from it. I do have the body of a heffalump. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going there, but man, I'm, that's a funny joke. Uh, that's it's totally unfounded and completely divorced from reality. Hey, man, there you go. All right, Jerry, well, we'll wrap this one up. It's been good talking to you about this. It went longer than I thought, but I uh, enjoyed what we covered. Hope our listeners did as well. We don't have an idea yet of what we're going to watch next, do we? I don't think so. I don't think so because um, the Predator comes out. It's too far away right now, But uh, and I need to look at the rating on that to make sure that it's still good. Hopefully, they just focus on the Predator, you know? Yeah, just focus on the Predator. I mean, really, that's what I aspire to do every day. <laughs> That's how I navigate my way through my daily life. Um, well, Jared, where can they find you other than this book? You've mentioned to us. Where can, where, where can our listeners find you outside of the world of pop culture, Coram Deo? Hey, you can find me on Jared H. Moore at Twitter. And you can find me on All Truth is God's Truth at Facebook. And Jeff and I write companion pieces occasionally at patheos.com forward slash blogs forward slash pop culture Coram Deo. And hey, uh, what is it? The Pop Culture Coram Deo Perpetual After Party Facebook group. Yeah, man, that, that thing's great. Uh, that is where we hang out with listeners from the show. Uh, we throw ideas around. We uh, workshop stuff together. There's great content that gets posted that you know we didn't have anything to do with creating. Uh, if you guys are on Facebook, I strongly recommend and invite you to drop by. Again, it's the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast, Perpetual After Party. Um, and if you're going to go by and you know join in there, uh, or you're already a member there, why don't you tell us what you'd like for us to cover next time? That would be a good use of that group, and it would help us see what you're interested in. Guys, if you are interested in connecting with me, I am at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. Um, would love to hear from you there. And uh, other than that, I think that has about wrapped us up here. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in to listen to this episode of the Pop Culture Cormdale podcast. If you're willing to give us a five-star review on iTunes or somewhere else, or really any review at all, we would love to get that. So head over there and thanks in advance for doing that. Otherwise, thank you for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you next week on the Pop Culture Quorum Dale podcast. <laughs>